Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody, I got one that doesn't insult your intelligence, you know, for a change. My guest is David Pepper, former chair of the Ohio State Democratic Party, and he's written a book, Laboratories of Autocracy, which I read a few weeks ago, and it's contributed to a change in my thinking about where we are in terms of our uh, democracy. I have thought for some time that we are very close to a tipping point where we will descend in into some kind of autocracy. Uh, But of late, I've been coming to the belief that we've already had the tipping point and that the tipping point is actually isn't an actual point, but rather the accumulation of a number of events that have undermined our democracy. The first one is Citizens United, the uh, 2010 5-4 SCOTUS decision, which unleashed limitless dark money in our politics. And it is insane now just how much dark money there is and how we really have very little idea of exactly where and from whom it is coming. Next tipping point, the 2010 midterms. Uh, that was a wave election in which Republicans flipped the House, picking up 63 seats. We were uh, still deep in the Great Recession and Republicans ran against the Affordable Care Act, which we had passed that year and which Republicans were were constantly lying about. You may remember Chuck Grassley saying that they were going to have uh, death panels and uh, with a government run program to pull the plug on grandma. But not only had Republicans flipped the House in 2010, they, they flipped a whole bunch of state legislatures. And in states like Ohio and Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, there were suddenly large majorities in in their legislatures. And because 2010 was a census year, that meant that 2011 was the year that those Republican state legislatures could gerrymander up the wazoo, drawing lines for Congress, but also essentially drawing their own lines. So that since then, they've had these large majorities which have just been locked in since then. And that is what laboratories of autocracy is all about. Let me go through some the next tipping points. 2013 Shelby County, another 5-4 decision. Supreme Court overturns preclearance in the Voting Rights Act that allows now state legislatures to start suppressing the votes of certain populations. You may remember that the North Carolina state legislature wrote new election laws right after Shelby County. And these laws, according to the Fourth Circuit, quote, targeted African-Americans with almost surgical precision. 
But because of Shelby County, that ruling didn't come in time to stop Republicans from stealing the 2014 uh, U.S. Senate race there. Next, Merrick Garland. And then Scalia dies in February of 2016. Remember, February. Obama nominates Garland. McConnell tells his Republicans not to even allow hearings. Absolutely unprecedented because he says it's a presidential election year and the elections already started. There's already been ballots cast in New Hampshire primary. Let, let the American people pick the next Supreme Court justice. Well, Trump wins. And that, of course, is an enormous tipping point. We have someone who tells us I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters. That probably should have told us something. And the fact that before the 2016 election, he said that he'd accept the results of the election only if he won. And so Republicans get Neil Gorsuch instead of Merrick Garland. And of course, in 2020, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies in late September. And they rush through Amy Coney Barrett, who is sworn in eight days before the election, after tens of millions of Americans had already voted. Okay, that's two seats that are just flat out stolen, stolen. So instead of what rightfully should be a 5-4 liberal court, and I would argue a moderately liberal court, we now have a deeply conservative, radical court populated with justices who clearly gave misleading testimony on stare decisis, hence Roe overturned. You also get West Virginia versus the EPA, which stripped away the government's power to delegate authority to independent agencies like the EPA to regulate greenhouse gases. There was also an insane ruling on separation of church and state written by Gorsuch and rulings which further eroded the Voting Rights Act, making it easier for state legislatures to pass and enforce voter suppression laws. And then, of course, there's the docket for this session, a case which may very well end affirmative action. And the most dangerous case of all, this is Moore v. Harper, which would render state courts powerless in matters relating to federal elections. And since 30 state legislatures are totally controlled by Republicans, this could very well lead to Republicans and Trump specifically achieving what they couldn't do in 2020, win a presidential election that he didn't win. And that would be the end of that. So I am afraid for our democracy and reading Laboratories of Autocracy uh, by my guest, David Pepper, helped me understand the enormous role that state legislatures play in, in all of that. And as we go into these midterms, please pay close attention to what's going on in those races in your state. Although, as you'll hear from David, the whole point of the egregious gerrymandering has been to neuter your vote, but certainly not for statewide races, especially secretaries of state, attorney general, uh, obviously governor. So please, 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 please vote. And please, if you can go out there and door knock this last week, as I've said here any number of times, I won my first Senate race by 312 votes. When I got to the Senate after six months of delay, I was the 60th Democrat. And because of that, 
we got the Affordable Care Act. So 312 votes. So, so door knock, door knock. I also want to thank everyone who tuned into our Zoom for your night here, the hospitality workers for their, their ground game, where I was joined by uh, the President D. Taylor and by Conan O'Brien. We raised over $500,000, which is going to put a lot more of their folks on the doors in Nevada, Arizona, and, and Pennsylvania. And if you would like to donate to Unite Here, the website is unitehere.org. Okay, two things before we go to my conversation with David Pepper. This coming Wednesday, we are doing our very first podcast in front of a live audience, doing it in New York City, which used to be the showbiz capital of the world. It's Wednesday evening at the City Winery, and my guests are David Axelrod and Cecile Richards, and we'll be doing our midterm preview. You can go to alfranken.com for ticket information. And then I just want to say a few words uh, about Paul Wellstone, who uh, died in a uh, plane crash uh, 20 years ago this past week uh, with his wife, Sheila, and daughter, Marsha, and three aides. And, two pilots 20 years ago this week. Uh, Paul was my friend. The last time I, uh, I saw Paul, I did a fundraiser for him about two weeks before the crash. First thing he asked me was about my mom. He knew my parents. My dad campaigned for him in his first race in 90. My dad was part of a senior citizen theater troupe. And he asked me about mom. And my mom um had dementia at this point and was in a nursing home and so i just said well you know um sometimes i can't really have a conversation with her and he said to me touch means so much touch means so much that was paul the next day uh i went to the nursing home i took the beautiful nursing home went to out to uh, the garden. We sat on a bench and I gave mom a, a hug. And I don't know if it meant what it meant to her, but it meant a whole bunch to me. That was Paul Wellstone. Um, Paul was in a dead heat uh, in October with Norm Coleman. He... Um, he had a vote coming up on the Iraq war. He was against going to war in Iraq. A pretty sizable majority of Minnesotans were for going to war in Iraq. Paul told me, he told a number of friends, that he thought he was going to vote against it, and he thought that would be the end of his career. So he did. The next poll that came out, remember, it was a dead heat before he took this vote. Next poll that came out, he was ahead by seven. And that's because people in Minnesota respect the senator, a politician who votes what he believes. And that was Paul. And uh, uh, we all miss, miss the guy. Um, all right. Let's uh, go to my conversation with David Pepper. This is not only a good one for a change, but an important one for once. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. 
living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that, means, that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. David, thank you for joining us. Or me. Uh, I'm honored to be with you today. Thanks. The Laboratories of Autocracy uh, is a very chilling book. It's really about how at the state level, the state legislatures uh, in not a small number of states have created virtual autocracy. Give me the elevator speech and then we'll go from the elevator and land in a green room and talk. Sure. Yeah. I'm, it's a sort of a personal account of what's happening in Ohio to explain sort of the pain of it up close. But from a bigger picture standpoint, you know, we all talk about the attack on democracy that we're seeing. And the point of my book is to make sure people see the front line of the attack on democracy is in states, largely through state houses, because those state houses are, are often not even paid attention to. So that's these really, are the state legislatures. Yeah, just, state legislatures. Mm -hmm. These state legislatures are generally anonymous. So no one even pays attention versus, let's say, the U.S. Senate. These state houses control almost every issue in politics that we care about. You know, issues from the economy to taxes to schools, but also a woman's right to choose and gun reform or, or lack thereof. And these state houses also have this, you know, immense power over democracy itself. I mean, they essentially write the rules of who votes, how they vote, how they register, and that allows them to shape the electorate. They also draw the, the district lines, both for Congress and themselves. So if your goal in life is to really undermine democracy, and the broader point is there's a group of people who that is their goal, and they, they generally represent a minority viewpoint 
They know that. So they need a subverted democracy to get what they want. They have seen and taken advantage of the fact that state houses are the perfect place to impose a minority worldview. You know, they control every issue and they can lock themselves away from the people in their states. And that's been going on for some time. So the book and they gerrymander that and they gerrymander, they suppress the other side. In, in, in Ohio, I go through the details. They purged the Obama coalition to the tune of hundreds of thousands of voters. Those voters didn't move. They didn't pass away, but they're no longer registered voters. Now, purging is different than than gerrymandering. Yeah, gerrymandering is splitting up districts so that outcomes are essentially predetermined. Purging is knocking voters off the rolls for, you know, in Ohio, all sorts of not good reasons. You add it all up and basically they're able to create a system where, you know, the, the, the broader will of Ohio is just not reflected in its state house. Even if the majority doesn't like what that state house is doing, largely because of gerrymandering, the people of the state can't change that. And that is why we're seeing a downward spiral. Let's go to the gerrymandering, because uh, sure. what they have done is so friggin' effective. Yeah. I mean, where there's virtually no contested elections in the state. <laughs> and it's been gerrymandered in such a way that in many states, and maybe this is true in Ohio, Democrats will win the popular vote if you add up all the people who voted in state legislative races. Right. And Democrats could have a majority or plurality. And yet there's almost a two to one result in the state legislature of Republicans to Democrats. And that's by virtue of gerrymandering. Now, the state legislature can't write the uh, rules for their own elections, but this was done by what well, you, you call in the bunker, right? Yeah, I mean, it varies in different states, but essentially in most states still, the legislature has a good deal of control. And as you mentioned, they've gotten so much more aggressive and good at it thanks to sort of data and computer technology that in, in, in Wisconsin is the most extreme example. You know, as you said, Democrats won the statewide vote for state legislature in Wisconsin in 2018 by nine points. Yet they have a two to one Republican supermajority in that state legislature. As I say, that that's a system Vladimir Putin would admire or Orban. Like, wow. Do, do, do they have a, a supermajority or is that up for grabs here? They're two to one one. in Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin is one of the worst. In Ohio, they do as well. Ohio has been about 50. In 2018, Ohio was 50 50 for the state legislative vote and they got a, a supermajority. Pennsylvania, Michigan, again, majority voted for Democrats, yet the gerrymandering gives the Republicans a majority they didn't earn. But but one thing I'd add, and it's worse than just an unearned majority in, the, in these legislatures, they have drawn districts in places like Ohio, so almost not a single member of their majority caucus ever faces a real election, ever, their whole careers. So if you want to know why the extremism is so out of whack... It's because we have people who spend an entire career in politics where they never actually face an election. And it turns out that they, leads they to face a, one and that's yeah, the primary, maybe the opening primary of the career. Maybe they got 5000 votes. It's whoever is the most right wing, usually yeah. the most conservative. And so this is why we have just nuts, nutcases in the yeah. state legislature yeah. and also corrupt people, which you go into great detail on. Yeah, I mean, basically every incentive that you and I assume 
leads to good public service because of an accountable democracy is flipped on its head in a world where people basically never in elections. Public outcomes, which normally is how you get reelected in a real democracy, you say, hey, I improved roads or schools or healthcare. They no longer matter if you're guaranteed reelection. What matters? Keeping the private players happy, the very people who want money from public school districts to run for-profit school companies, for example. There's also, in a normal world of democracy, an incentive to be mainstream. That's how you would win. But as you just described, in a world where the general election is guaranteed and the only thing you worry about is the primary, you now have an incentive to be an extremist. So all the incentives that, that again, we think lead to good public behavior in a healthy democracy turn upside down. Also, they can. The state legislatures do have a say over the congressional Correct. gerrymandering, right? Yes. And in many states, they do control their own. They, they pass a bill or there's some hybrid processes, but many states, they control their own maps too. So they literally can, can sort of affect their own districts. But you see, in the states you're mentioning, like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Ohio, Michigan, the gerrymandering has completely, again, it parallels exactly what you're talking about in the state legislatures, but in their congressional representation in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan and, and in Ohio, I guess it's yeah. closer. Democrats will win the popular vote. If you talk about who voted for a Democrat for right. Congress, who voted for a Republican for Congress, but the way it's gerrymandering, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's like two to one Republican. Yeah. We're, we're a state that in 2012, Obama and Sherrod Brown both won decisively. Yet because of the gerrymandering, they had 12 Republicans go to Congress and four Democrats. And that 12-4 stayed every single year, all decade, no matter what the voters did. And that same thing happened in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. So yeah, it's, it's truly rigged. And you and I could have looked at the map in 11, 2011, and you and I could have predicted the outcome almost exactly of every race for the next 10 years. Michigan, just to be clear, they got so fed up, they did change their constitution, so they have an independent commission. But for the most part, it's these state house How, how did they change the, their constitution? Was that a... a, a, a they had a referendum go a to referendum. the ballot and it passed. We okay. had, by the way, we had one go to the ballot, and this is something that I'm still fighting. And our, our lawless legislature simply ignored the new constitution, has spent the last year ignoring the Ohio Supreme Court. So right now in Ohio, believe it or not, in just a few weeks, we will have an election on a congressional map that our own state Supreme Court has found to violate the Ohio Constitution. We're about to go through that. So even when you push a reform, these legislatures are so out of whack at this point. You know, there are hundreds of Marjorie Taylor Greens and all these places. We just don't know their names. In, in Ohio, they are so over the top that they simply did not follow the court order. And so now we have a map that we will be voting on that our own Supreme Court says violates the Ohio Constitution. Michigan's got sorted out some, but yeah, most states, the legislature is still drawing these districts and they're drawing them with the intensity I'm describing. Again, a, a blue state, 50-50, is 12-4 going to Congress. It, it's just at some point, as you said at the very beginning, not a democracy. At least we can go to the U.S. Supreme Court and get a fair... Yeah, exactly. When did the U.S. Supreme Court say we're not going to interfere or decide on gerrymandering that's based on partisanship? 
they have they, said that for pretty much a century. The most recent case was out of Wisconsin about four years ago. And they said, it's not for us. It's not for federal courts to get into partisan gerrymandering. Uh, they, they acknowledged the problem, by the way, but they said that's a political decision. We shouldn't get into partisan gerrymandering. So they let it go, basically. It, it, by the way, that's a 5-4 decision. If, if Hillary Clinton won the presidency, we would have had yeah. a, a, a majority who yeah. would have said, finally, partisan gerrymandering at a certain point is simply no longer you know, a democratic system, which it's not in some states already. Which in, in laboratories of autocracy, you just so painstakingly draw that picture and it's it's horrifying it's horrifying and, and here are some of the things that that you write about that state legislatures are are attacking uh they're attacking collective bargaining they are privatizing schools they as you say purge votes they make it harder to vote they target college students and people by race and immigrants. And in turn, purging is an interesting thing because one of the things that you write about is they purge all these people who they said hadn't voted because they passed some law. If you didn't vote in the last two elections or something, you're, you're automatically purged. But it turned out when you look at it, they purged all kinds of people who voted. Tens of thousands or hundreds. Of, what, what was the number? I, um, hundreds of thousands. I mean, just government error. They they couldn't get their list straight. So about tw- a little under twenty percent of people on the one list that was ever made public had voted, including, by the way, the president of the League of Women Voters. She was about to be purged for not voting. And so you, when you take that twenty percent, <laughs> yeah, and she and we found she was found on the list, and it showed you that they're literally they're so inept. They are putting people on a list to be purged that had totally followed all the rules. Let alone the fact that purging is simply punishing poor people for the most part for moving. I, w- I was able to go through it. You know, hundreds of thousands of fewer voters in Cuyahoga County, where where Obama basically won the presidency. Most of those people they hadn't moved, and no one passed away. But they're just no longer registered voters. They they succeeded in destroying the Obama coalition in Ohio, not just through gerrymandering, but through this in, really intense voter purging where they're trying to target infrequent voters. Can you help me write a sketch? I have an idea for a sketch. Um, this is a sketch idea. It's a guy who's voted early and he's dying and he's on his deathbed and his family's around him. And he's all he cares about is if he dies before the election, that they have to tell the registrar, the family. <laughs> because he doesn't, he doesn't know if his Vote will be valid. Right. Would it be valid if he died? Um, I. You know what? That's a really interesting question. Well, this guy is just, that's all he cares about. Yeah. And his family goes, Grandpa, no. Um, <laughs> let's talk about how much we love you. That's important. But what's important is our democracy. And I don't yeah. want to violate our democracy. And if I die, I think I'm dying right now. Call the registrar. Right. <laughs> and that's, right. Uh, that's the sketch. Anyway, Interesting. we can do this offline. We, we don't have to do it. this on. Yes. Okay. I think that's a, that's a great premise. Anyway. Okay. So here's the stuff they do. Broadband. They make it hard for localities, you know, <laughs> to do their own broadband. Right. And that's because Comcast and the big players, AT&T, you know, Time Warner, they want to do the broadband. They don't want cities to do their own broadband, right? They literally, this is incredible when you think about it. They want to block public broadband 
because those private players someday may want to go to those communities, although not yet. Right. And they don't want to have the competition already in place. So the public officials, again, one of the key things here is most of the work being done in these gerrymandered, rigged and corrupt state houses is on behalf of the private sector. So they literally in state after state pass laws saying you basically can't have public broadband because someday our private donors may want to be there and we want to be open for them to do it. That's how sick it gets. It's pretty damn corrupt. Yeah. Uh, Union busting, privatizing corrections, stopping renewable energy. Uh, Ohio coal is a big deal. Yep. And outside coal. You talked about some guy who got all this money. (laughs) <laughs> just from coal interest way outside of Ohio. Boom, 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 boom. All this money. Yeah. It, the money was against me. I, I look oh, up that's in, right. in the fall. You're running people, for auditor. I'm running right? for a statewide office. Yeah, it would yeah. have been back to gerrymandering. And all of a sudden. Because I'm the like, auditor hey, sits on the board. Sits that, on the board yeah, that draws yeah. the districting maps. Okay. I just want to make I look that. up and I'm like, why is a coal person from Utah care about the state auditor's race in Ohio? And not just one, but many of them. And this was back before you were giving online. And it's because the coal interests know that a gerrymandered state house is key to them destroying any kind of clean energy agenda. The, the commonality of the of the interests, it's either corporate interests that want something from the public for them, or it's extremists who know that in a normal democracy, their extremism would never survive. So, you know, it's like the 10 year old a rape victim from Ohio going to Indiana because of the abortion ban here, no exceptions. Well, most Ohioans support Roe v. Wade. The extremists know that in, unless they have a rigged state house that they can't lose, that law would never pass. So the commonality of the agenda that's served by these gerrymandered, in, by these gerrymandered states is extremists who would never survive in a real democracy and a corporate agenda that directly undermines public outcomes. Those two groups are agglomerating at the state house capital all over the country because it turns out to be the best place to get their agenda done. I mean, look at Mitch McConnell telling Lindsey Graham, don't bring up a national abortion ban. That's unpopular. Why does he get to do that? Because in states they can pass those bans and no one even knows about it. Even if they do, it's so gerrymandered they can't vote them out. So most of the right wing, extreme and toxic and corporate serving agenda is rushing like crazy through state houses because they can do it there without any real pushback. You have stories, I, I was talking to Ben Wickler, who, as you know, Ben well, he is the uh, chairman of the Democratic Party in Wisconsin, about a race where there's a guy, a Republican who's running, who was a cop, who was fired because he shook down girls, teenagers, who he caught dr- illegally drinking. And had sex with him and got thrown out of the police. And he's in a tight race now. Right. Right. We had a guy indicted for the largest bribery scandal in Ohio, reelected with 70% of the vote after the indictment. You, you basically have a group in power almost entirely immune from the voters. And that means they are also immune, even if, you know, in Ohio, I go through this painfully in Ohio. Even when public outcomes are cratering, meaning your schools are worse, your health care is worse, your towns are falling apart, these people get reelected. And once you've decoupled good public outcomes from uh, getting reelected, you have this 
this downward spiral of real collapses and all sorts of, of almost any way you can measure uh, public success. You're seeing that in many, many states. And the same people deliver those public outcomes, get reelected. Why? Because the public can't hold them accountable. And the private interests that they're giving money to that leads to those poor public outcomes are very happy. So they keep it going. And it goes on and on and on. That's why until we get serious about democracy back in states, and that means Congress doing its work, it means the Democratic Party focusing not just on federal offices, but state offices, it will continue. What we are seeing will continue. And frankly, it will get worse. The only incentive right now, if you're in the Ohio State House, is to be an extremist. That's how you stay in power. That's how you get ahead. There is no incentive to do anything but that, to be moderate. That's actually how you would lose. And until we start contesting these races, until we uh, pass laws that make it illegal to do some of what they're doing, they're going to just keep going the other way from, from mainstream America and from broader public service. I mean, th- this is a circular thing, because if they're gerrymandering the congressional seats, then we don't have the ability to do that in Congress. And that's, of course, the House is what you gerrymander. Correct. But we're, that's, we, have, we have an election coming up, <laughs> a midterm. The, the stakes are, couldn't be higher. And this book is about autocracy and about the blueprint or the laboratories for autocracy, which we are seeing in these states. And these guys in, in, in uh, Ohio, you can only serve for eight years, right? So their incentive is, look, I don't face another election because my district is so gerrymandered that I don't have to do anything. And what am I going to do when I leave? Well, I'd like to have some money. And so they just kowtow to these interests and they're Republicans <laughs> and they're right wing Republicans. Yeah. And so uh, what you have is this is extremely this book is just chilling and clarifies where this power is. And it's in the state legislatures because they gerrymander the congressional seats, the House seats. And if we lose. the, The majority, we can't do anything. I mean, you wrote this a while ago. Your solution to this really is passing the John Lewis Act. That is only going to happen if we keep the House and we add two in the Senate, right? And we have to do more. But yes, I mean, we have to keep the Senate. You know better than I. We let McCarthy or whoever would be running the House, maybe it'd be Donald Trump as Speaker. Some are saying that. We will have a meltdown of America uh, quick if, if we let these these. House members, the House Republicans run the show. If we manage to win the House and the Senate, and let's go do that, they need to prioritize, unlike last time, passing the voting rights and democracy protections, including ending gerrymandering, which is in the bills in the Senate as the first thing they do in 2023. Because the the strongest force to protect democracy in states is the federal government. I mean, they're given the power to do that. Even the Supreme Court of the United States, you know, at least in that last case I mentioned, Wisconsin said, yes, Congress could pass a law to reduce partisan gerrymandering. That's on them to do. They need to do it. And I, I um, want to make clear, my book goes beyond just sort of the darkness of what's happening. I try and go through ways that everyone can play a role beyond even the U.S. Senate and House, ways that we can all start changing how we do things to fight back 
I worry greatly that uh, the Senate and House need to do more. But there's also ways that every single citizen can do more back in their community. And I try and explain that, too. So it's not just about the problem. I'm trying to lay out some solutions. The emphasis of this is on state legislatures. So, again, yes, um, you know, everything's connected right here, you know, because the state legislatures gerrymander these districts and that puts our House majority in jeopardy and that, you know, would prohibit passing the uh, voting laws that we, we need to pass. But the, but the point that you're making is that all this power lies in the state legislatures and no one focuses on that. Yeah. The far right does. The Koch brothers do. ALEC, a group that organizes these legislatures do. And on the left, and I don't say this to be critical, like I have a lot of friends who are very active in the party. Like We are so focused on the federal that we aren't, you know, think about it as a soccer game. They're always on offense at the state house level where democracy is shaped and they can ramp through their agenda. We're always focused on the on the Senate and the House. So we're letting them basically be on offense all the time without really challenging them. We have to w- focus on federal, but we also have to get our infrastructure shaped so they were back in states fighting it out. You know, don't just get mad about the Mississippi or whatever bill that ends Roe or something else. So mad that we elect Tim Ryan senator. Go back to the state house that passed that horrific bill and run against those people and hold them accountable. And as we saw in Kansas, it can actually work if you're effective. These places are getting so extreme and so corrupt that if we ran against them, we might actually win. If we don't run against them, they'll just keep doing what they're doing. So we've got to broaden our battlefield and not just be about a few federal swing states. We've got to go back to the source of the problem. And the source of the problem is extremists at a statehouse level, just running basically solo in a lot of these places without any opposition. And I, I tell my folks, uh, my listeners, to go out there and door knock and phone bank. Do that for state legislative races. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's and, and really way, effective, by the and way. And sometimes the Democrats like to think, well, if we do that, it's good because we're building our bench for the future. I'm like, well, maybe, but that state house is determining democracy right now. That's not only about some future congressional person. If that person never runs for Congress ever, but they protect democracy in your state, that is incredibly important right this second. The other side knows this. They don't care if these people ever run for anything else. They think of them as people in in Columbus or Tallahassee who are literally the lead people pushing through their agenda while eliminating democracy. That's their most valuable role for the far right right now. More than Marjorie Taylor Greene just going on and on about what she does, they care more about those statehouse Republicans that are doing everything they ask and then some. We have to see the value in these races and start, you know, I, I, I'm not I'm not saying that you you zero out federal, but just take a rounding error of the amount of money that we put. I'm looking over the, the, the river. I'm in Cincinnati. So I'm like Sarah Palin. I see Kentucky from my house. OK, Amy McGrath raised one hundred million dollars to take on Mitch McConnell. I don't fault her for that at all. But what if we took 20 or 30 million of that 100 million and said, instead of going to a Kentucky U.S. Senate race, Let's divide that money up among many state house candidates in seats that we aren't even contesting 
So we actually start making a run for things in states where democracy is shaped. We just got to get a lot smarter about seeing the, the, the democracy playing field for what it is and seeing what the other side is doing. They are going for broke against democracy itself. And their lead front line in doing that is the states. And we have to basically go there as well. OK, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with David Pepper. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, We'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. We're back with David Pepper, author of Laboratories of Autocracy. Let's talk about Alec, because I I think some of my listeners know what, what Alec is. And this is something funded by the Koch brothers and others which is uh, they make cookie cutter bills or state legislatures to enact these things that are in their interest, right? Alec didn't need to read my book to know what I'm saying. They figured it out a generation ago. Right. They figured out that the best way to get their agenda done was through these anonymous state houses. And they realized these state house members will do everything they want. The incentives are all screwed up. So they basically have hotwired state houses. And put them working together so it's better than lobbying. They write the bills themselves and give them to these state House members, and they go back to their home states and pass them. And whenever a bill passes, they then take that bill and give it to all the other states to do the same thing. So they basically harnessed or, or, or weaponized these very weak state House levels of governance to serve their private agenda. And the reason that everything feels like it's accelerating. It's because it is, you know, every time, if, if something, if when the don't say gay bill passed in Florida, two weeks later, it comes to Ohio. When that rural broadband bill that we talked about crushing public broadband passed in a few States, they just took the same law and sent it to 20 other States and it passed there as well. Like they're always learning from each other. If something fails, they correct for it and then bring it back and bring it elsewhere. And if something succeeds, they share and they say, oh, go do it everywhere else. So Alec is basically taking a problem that was already a problem one state at a time, and they're basically exploding it across dozens of states at one time. Yeah. Are you depressed? <laughs> Me? <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> I, I'm an optimist. So I, I'm an, I wrote okay. the book. But here's the problem. If we don't confront, and this is why I wrote the book to be a little bit shocking, although it's not an exaggeration. I want people reading thinking, oh my God, I had no idea it was that bad. 
until we see how bad it is, and that's why the the subtitle is a wake-up call from behind the lines. It's me saying to blue states, listen, it's worse than you realize. Even in a state that Obama won twice, it's worse than you realize. And it will continue to be this bad if we don't do something. But until we see the depth of the problem, I don't think we'll adjust what we're doing or fight hard enough to solve it. This is an important book, this, and it's an important insight, and it is so much the root of the threat that we have now to our democracy. I mean, we are one election away, I think, from becoming an autocracy. The, the Supreme Court is fixed, right? It's not legitimate. The, they stole two seats. We have the Congress, you know, if we lose the House, it's a very scary time. In the book, you quote this guy, uh, Jacob Levy, and I wrote this down. This, to me, was pretty profound. Uh, Saying something obviously untrue and making your subordinates repeat it with a straight face in their own voice is a particularly startling display of power over them. It's something that was endemic to totalitarianism. And I think about all the Republicans, office holders, some of my former colleagues who know this election was not stolen, that the Biden election victory was legitimate and won't say it. Yeah. Or will actually even say it was, knowing that it wasn't. And what that does is... It's basically compromising them, right? Yeah. And it also, I mean, think about when Donald Trump first went down that escalator. He was fringe in his own party. But if he's the only one talking and the others, although more civil, but say nothing, you know, Rob Portman, sadly, is a great example. If all them go quiet and Donald Trump is the only one talking over time, he wins. And that's what they've allowed him to do. They all knew better at first. They all were scared to say anything. They maybe thought like they originally thought with Donald Trump. It's I'll just be the last one way. standing against him. And there's no way we can possibly nominate this guy. Yeah. That's what and they, and they all are quiet. They don't want to say it. And next thing you know, he's a nominee or next thing you know, everyone in their party or most of them believe the big lie. I mean, the, the truth is they have allowed. I mean, and, and one of the examples in Ohio, you know, it's almost fitting that the transition is going to go from Portman to J.D. Vance. Portman was so quiet and kind of shirked every time he could have stood up to Trump Mm -hmm. that he's ushered in the far right to basically be his replacement. I hope Tim Ryan wins. I I think Tim's got a great shot. But if if Vance wins, that transition is perfectly, you know, uh, symbolic that those who kind of knew better were so afraid to say anything that they ushered in sort of the crazy to take over. It's taken over their party because they were so quiet and it could take over, you know, the Senate, it could take, you know, look at Mitch McConnell has said nothing, I don't think, since Trump tweeted a horrible thing the other day about him and his wife. And so that that quietness and that's that, you know, lack of any backbone to actually say anything, people listening look at Trump saying what he's saying with confidence. They look at the more moderate ones who say nothing. Well, they're going to orient towards Trump. And that's why, whether it's the big lie or you name it, they ultimately he wins because he's the one saying it with with authority and the others say nothing. And they lose again and again and again because of that dynamic. 
Well, it is. You're, you're basically, by not saying anything, you're collaborating. It's almost worse because if you're, if you're someone with some credibility and you not only don't say anything, but sometimes you say, you know, oh, he's right, you're giving cover to it. You know, there was a there was a moment during the Ukraine impeachment scandal where where Portman went, Rob Portman, Ohio, went on TV and said, well, you know, the president is right. The NATO allies aren't doing enough. He lent his credibility as being more moderate to Trump. And so in a way that when people who know better go along with it, they're actually legitimizing it. So That's it's right. almost worse. Like that, everyone knows Trump's crazy, but if people who know better go along with it, they're propping up the crazy guy and making and legitimizing. And there have been many Republicans, and and some of them I know you were your former colleagues who have been doing that. Yeah, I hawk some of my former Republican colleagues and say, if you don't say that Biden won the election, you're like collaborating. Yeah. Or if you say, you know, or, oh, yeah, there was some fraud. I mean, they'll throw sort of, they'll throw something to sort of legitimize it. And again, he'll take it and run with it. I had one former colleague say to me, like, well, I was told that there were this many thousand fraudulent votes in Nevada. And I I said, and did they provide any proof? Uh, No. He he said, I asked for some, uh, but they, uh, they they didn't provide any. Yeah. And and stand up, you know. They know, and then they know. I mean, they they know, but they can't. They're afraid of losing their primary. Yeah, and now they're afraid too. And I think this is why Mitch McConnell goes along too. Their agenda again. Watch Mitch McConnell. He tells Rick Scott, "Don't talk about Social Security." He tells Lindsey Graham, "Don't talk about abortion." Mitch McConnell knows that their agenda is generally very unpopular, and because of it, they can't really run on their agenda. Because of that, they don't really have a, a way to get people motivated to vote. Trump is the one guy on their side of the aisle that has an ability to get people to show up. And that turnout that he and he generated this in 18 when he was going on about the caravan in states like Ohio. They I think the the smartest ones know that if we don't have Donald Trump ginning up people who most of our policies are undermining, we don't have a turnout that wins us elections. And I think that's part of the deal that some of them are making in their mind is they don't know how to get voters excited. Most of their agenda is not popular. You know, most of it undermines everyone but a few wealthy people. Donald Trump is the one guy that can get the vote out, so they need to tolerate him being around, or they think they'll lose states that they might win. You know, in Ohio, for example, or Florida, I believe that it sounds crazy, I'm sure, especially people in blue states. When he did that last couple of weeks of that caravan nonsense. I believe that led to a surge in turnout in big red states. I think it's one reason Claire McCaskill lost by more than anyone thought. That race was tied. She lost by more. Donald Trump has a knack of generating turnout that they otherwise don't know how to generate. And that's why I think it's, it's, it's both a primary concern, but it's also a party with not a lot of other things they can use. Or some of them don't want to you know, blow the dog whistles Donald Trump will. And so he's their convenient turnout machine that they otherwise lack. And they have no agenda. No. Their agenda is the agenda you talked about 
that they ram through states that they don't want to talk about publicly because right. almost all, you know, it's a 10 year old girl get uh, having to go to Indiana, to get an abortion. That's a losing agenda. It's teachers armed in schools and no background checks. That's a losing agenda. They, the smart ones, Koch brothers, Mitch McConnell, they know that the heart of their agenda, it, it's trickled on economics that leaves almost everyone out. They know that the heart of their agenda is either unpopular or toxic. And that if they ran on that, they would lose. So they, they avoid elections as much as they can through gerrymandering. And when they have them, they try and change the subject by flying people to Martha's Vineyard or saying a caravan's coming. Because they ha- if they had a straight up election on abortion, you saw what happened. They lose even in states like Kansas. They know that. And, and again, what explains their entire strategy of going through state houses is that they know their agenda is a minority viewpoint agenda, and they the only way they can achieve it is by avoiding straight-up democracy because on a repeated democracy playing field, they know they would lose. So go to states, rig them through gerrymandering, suppress the opposition voter, and ram that minority agenda through at the statehouse level. And this is where the U.S. Supreme Court comes in, and then get yourself a U.S. Supreme Court that will uphold all those crazy laws that a prior Supreme Court would have struck down. You know, like Dobbs or Voting Rights Act attacks. So the Supreme Court is most important to them, not because it's the sword, it's the shield. The sword is a state house that's rigged, passing the attack on Roe. The Supreme Court is the shield that upholds that crazy law. It's like a one-two punch. And Mitch McConnell, again, you know, you 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 know him better than I do. He plays it to a T. He knows exactly that this is how they're going to get their agenda done. Pass something insane and unpopular in a state where the voters can't stop it and then have it go to a court that will uphold it. Yeah, yeah. The Supreme Court is taking up this case, Morvey Harper, which is a, a North Carolina redistricting case that would give state legislatures complete control of elections uh, in a way that state courts can't overrule. Basically, if you if you've heard everything I've said or read my book, this case is sort of the worst nightmare. It's basically saying we're going to give out of control and rigged state houses even more power. It, it's a by the way, it's a rogue. This is a rogue theory. It makes no sense in the law, but it's basically saying what's it called? The independent legislature theory. This is basically saying that state courts don't get to review their own legislature. And here's the reason that's so dangerous. That's right. That's what it These is. These legislatures, as if you've heard anything we've talked about, they are already not accountable to the voters because they're so gerrymandered. They can pass toxic laws and no one can vote them out. This would be saying, well, they're not accountable to the voters. But if this were to be put into place, this is saying they're also no longer accountable to courts. They can do what they want and no one can vote them out. And no court, independent court, can even hold them accountable so it leaves the question, well, they're just totally, you know, all power to them and no one can stop them. So it's a very dangerous theory and it would change all sorts of things. You know, it could it could impact gerrymandering. It could impact election laws in 2024. It can elect who sends the, the um, delegation electors. of electors for the presidential electoral process. And it basically would say nobody has any say or oversight or, or check on what they're doing, except these people themselves, which is bad enough. But the worst part is the people in these offices right now have been there because of gerrymandering. So they're already there on in sort of these artificial ways. They don't reflect the people of their states. I mean, let me just get going back to how do you know these places do not reflect the people of their states? I'll give an example. Ohio is a pro Roe v. Wade state. It's not even close. 
decisive majority, yet Ohio is sending uh, rape victims to other states to get abortions, or not Ohio, but families are, because our law bans abortions with, with no exceptions. How does a state that is supporting Roe v. Wade have a law that says that? It's because it's no longer a representative state. The independent state legislative theory would give to a group of extremists who are only in power due to gerrymandering yet another you know, lack of accountability. And even a court can't hold them accountable. So it's obviously a very dangerous theory. You know, let's hope it doesn't happen. If it does, I think Congress needs to continue to get tougher if, if they have the majority to sort of fight back. And there are ways that they can do that. Boy, oh boy, that's a chilling, a chilling one. Yeah. And four justices had to take it in order to you know, get it heard. So, yeah. And by the way, one of the things that really irks me about all this is, is, and this is, this was, I think uh, Alito and Kavanaugh both talked about it this way. It's such bad faith. Um, It's gaslighting. You know, the Dobbs decision, they said, oh, it's okay that we're striking this down because this will go back to the states to decide. They know full well that it's not going back to the states in terms of the people it's being sent back to these extremist rig legislatures to decide. So even their, even the way they wrote that decision leaves an impression that they know is false, that somehow this is going to go back to some healthy democracy you know, in Ohio or Indiana. To it's funny, you remember in Michigan, uh, the Republicans on this, this state board uh, refused to put an abortion rights referendum on the ballot, even though the supporters of the referendum got way, way more than the 750,000 signatures they needed. And it took the state Supreme Court, which is a heavily Republican state Supreme Court. They overwhelmingly voted. No, no. Come on, you guys. This is ridiculous. It, it is so ugly out there. It is. And, and, and my worry is, and I really, you know, I, and I don't say this to criticize, my worry is that that too often the the national media and some view the ugliness as just January sixth and Mar-a-Lago classified documents and whatever Trump tweets and whatever Marjorie Taylor says. And the point of my book is to say no, the ugliness is actually more deep and more institutional. And to yeah. quote that old Carvel, it's the state houses, and they're not about people. It's these are institutions that every day are undermining democracy. And they're actually, for the most part, doing deeper damage than anything else. And if all we do is focus, you know, and by the way, this all started before Trump ever ran. And if he were mm-hmm. locked up tomorrow, it would continue. So we get so focused on a few sort of, you know, high profile things and federal things that, that and, and by the way, the Koch brothers love that we talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene every day and not the hundreds of state representatives just like her who are in the majority passing laws. They love that we get so that the national media will cover X, not Y. And it's ugly. It's even more ugly in these state houses in terms of the attack on democracy than anything going through Congress. I say this all the time. If everything happened in Columbus, Ohio was happening in another country, you know, rigging elections, suppressing the vote, changing the rules about protest, banning history. If it happened in another country, we would all call it out and say, my God, that country is losing its democracy. It's happening in our own state houses, and we don't talk about it nearly as much and nearly with a level of sort of alarm that we would if it was happening somewhere else. And we've got to fix that quick. Well, thanks for, for this book, Laboratories of Autocracy. It's an important book. You know, I, I hope through this podcast, uh, through this, our discussion, people get it. 
but it's uh gee you got to get out there folks you got to yeah. get you, you got to get out there and you got to focus on these local on, on these state races yeah yeah it's uh whoa <laughs> uh, so thanks <laughs> thank you so much i really really am honored by uh, that you read it and that we, we've been able to talk about it for so long well i i hope you enjoyed uh listening that beautiful music is by leo kotke the great leo kotke i want to thank peter ogburn for producing this podcast we'll talk again next week Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.